Empire. Welcome to Inside the Cap. I'm your host, Joel Corey. You can find me on Twitter at Corey Joel, C-O-R-R-Y-J-O-E-L. And also read my regular CBSSports.com column in Agent's Take. Uh, This week, we are going to be looking at two things. Uh, Russell Wilson's future with the Seattle Seahawks and the seemingly never-ending contract saga between Dak Prescott and Dallas Cowboys. But first, we're going to take a look at Russell Wilson. Um, There was an athletic uh, article on Thursday which seemed to highlight a rift in the relationship between Pete Carroll, John Snyder, Russell Wilson. Later in the day, Russell Wilson's agent, um, Mark Rogers, came out and said that Russell Wilson does not want to be traded, but he would accept a trade to four specific teams, New Orleans Saints, Dallas Cowboys, Chicago Bears, and the Las Vegas Raiders. Now, the reason he could accept a trade to four teams, or how many teams he wanted to, is because he has no trade clause in his contract. So basically saying he's willing to waive his no trade clause uh, for those four teams. Now, I look at this as an open invitation for... uh, Anyone to come make an offer, one of those four teams in particular, to make an offer to the Seahawks that can't be refused. Um, What would that mean? That would mean more than three first-round picks. Some people put three first-round picks as a price on Russell Wilson. Offer you can't refuse for Seattle would have to be more than three first-round picks. Um, Now, the interesting thing about Russell Wilson to me is for a guy who has – mastered the art of talking and saying nothing. This is the first offseason where he's really said anything of any consequence or significance, because before, at least to me, I hear Russell Wilson talk. He says the equivalent of water is wet, and I'm like, okay, let's move on. But a couple weeks ago, he gave a couple interviews right after the Super Bowl where he expresses displeasure with the offensive line. Can't really blame him for them not for him being dissatisfied. It's kind of throwing the offensive line under the bus, but the Seahawks really haven't gone out of their way to invest in the offensive line. It's been basically neglected for the most part. I I know they went out and got Dwayne Brown in a trade, uh, a high-level left tackle. They've used one first-round pick in recent years on an offensive lineman. 2016, uh, Jermaine Effetti um, used to pick on him. But other than that, that it hasn't been a top priority. So I get where where, – Russell is coming from from that standpoint, but I do think that where part of his dissatisfaction comes from is the same with Aaron Rodgers. Tom Brady won again, and Tom Brady goes to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and the Buccaneers go all in. He gets coaxes Rob Gronkowski out of retirement. They trade for his rights. Um, Bruce Arians didn't want Antonio Brown. But by midseason, because that's someone Tom Brady wanted, Antonio Brown goes to Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Leonard Fournette gets weighed by the Jaguars. Leonard Fournette becomes a Tampa Bay Buccaneer. So I think both these quarterbacks have a little bit of Tom Brady envy. So 
really what the Seahawks should do when Russell Wilson gets back from the vacation he's supposedly on this week, they should sit down in a room, John Snyder, Russell Wilson, and Pete Carroll, and try to hash out their differences. I'm of the mindset that I'll be surprised if there's a trade this year, but what do I know? Um, I was of the mindset that we'd never see Carson Wentz traded this year because there's no way Philadelphia would take on a 33.82 million dollars of dead money which they are so stranger things have happened but one of the reasons I would be surprised about a Russell Wilson trade is if you just look at the economics of it for uh, Seattle he's got three years left on the extension he signed two years ago which made him the highest paid player in the league at 35 million per year Part of that extension, because of the way Seattle structures contracts, had the biggest signing bonus in league history, $65 million, which is being prorated on the cap 2019 through 23 at $13 million. If Seattle was a team that was willing to guarantee at signing more than just the base salary in the first year, maybe the signing bonus wouldn't have been that big. But if you tried to trade Russell Wilson... And he said he doesn't want to trade right now. Seattle's not shopping him. But if you did, then we're talking $39 million in dead money or a cap charge not have him on the roster. That's because you would have the three years of proration, 2021, 22, and 2023, hit the cap for this year, for any trade before June 2nd. His cap number right now is $32 million, So that would be adding $7 million. Um, to the cap. Well, we've seen teams are willing to do that in the trades for Jared Goff and um, Matthew Stafford. The Rams, between the dead money of Goff and Stafford's salary coming in, that's $7.25 million more than just having the guy in a standalone position, Goff. And for the um, Lions, it's $14.15 million more between taking on golf salary and Stafford's dead money. So maybe that's not as much of an impediment as you might think, um, having the cap having the cap increase. But if you waited after June 1st, then you'd actually save room because the $19 million of salary that Wilson's supposed to make comes off the books. And you'd only have the $13 million in dead money this year. You'd have 26 next year. So... A June 1 trade, at least from a cap standpoint, would make more sense for Seattle. But the problem with that is, if you're trading a quarterback after June 1, that may hinder his ability to be ready to go, learn the offensive terminology for the 2021 season. And then Seattle's got to go get a quarterback no matter what the timing of the trade is, unless they would get one back. Let's look at those four teams in particular. Uh, first, we'll start with the Saints, which, from a football standpoint, would be the best fit, uh, at least to me, for Russell Wilson. Sean would get to play for Sean Payton. He's a short quarterback like Drew Brees. Great offensive mind in Sean Payton. Their team, which has been a contending team, more so than anybody else um, on his list, big problem. Right now, if the cap's going to be at the $180 million floor, these Saints – are almost $87 million over the cap. So I have a lot of work to do just to be cap compliant. Then, let alone create enough space to have $19 million to absorb Russell Wilson's 2021 base salary, which is now fully guaranteed. 
it became fully guaranteed on the fifth day of the waiver period of this year, which was the 12th of February. Uh, obviously, if you got him, they could clear out that type of cap room and Seattle was willing to trade him. You could then restructure the contract where you could cut the base salary down um, and you could spread it out over the remaining years of the contract or even extend him. Um, three years Extensions of three years are unusual. <laughs> Don't happen a whole lot in the NFL. Um, so I look at the Saints that even though it might be the best team on paper, um, notwithstanding a lot of the roster changes that will happen because the need to cut people, probably the best situation for Russell Wilson. Um, I'd imagine as a part of the compensation, maybe Seattle wants some Rashawn Lattimore, at least uh, the Saints might be willing to deal him just because they'd have two first-round picks from his draft class. Um, 2017 that need deals. Ron Ramsick, the right tackle, and Marshawn Lattimore. Only thing is, um, they'd be taking back 10.244 million in salary for Seattle, his fifth-year option, and then you got to extend him at least to Davies White money, which is 17.25 million per year, upwards to the 20 million uh, per year Jalen Ramsey's making. Now let's go to the Dallas Cowboys. We're going to talk about Dak Prescott in detail later on. First problem is. We're expecting Dallas is going to uh, franchise um, Dak Prescott again for essentially $37.7 million. Now, you can't trade Dak Prescott if he is given the franchise tag as long as he has an unsigned tender. So if he didn't want to go to Seattle, if Dallas was interested in Russell Wilson, and, and all reports are they're not, so it would be a moot point anyway. But if he don't want to go there, it wouldn't happen because it wouldn't sign a tender for the trade. So he could veto it from that standpoint. Obviously, they could still make the trade, then take the tag off of him and make Dak Prescott an unrestricted free agent and not get anything in return for him after giving up a ton of draft capital for uh, Russell Wilson. But that's another obstacle to a trade to get Russell Wilson in a Cowboys uniform. Now, what's up? It's Mike Jones from the Football Jones Podcast. I know you're enjoying your time with Inside the Cap, but once you're done, I want to invite you to come over and check out my podcast. Each week, we take a deep dive into some of the most pressing topics around the NFL, high-profile guests from the coach, player, and front office ranks, as well as the top league insiders. Check out the Football Jones Podcast, another fine product brought to you by Empire Media. Let's go to the Bears. If I'm the Bears, I'm doing whatever I can to entice Seattle to give up Russell Wilson for one reason. You've got Matt Nagy, the head coach, and you've got Ryan Pace, the GM, on the hot seat. They shouldn't care about the long-term future of the Chicago Bears because their self-interest is if we don't do – we're not more successful than we were this year (laughs) – we're not going to be around in 2022, so they should be willing to mortgage the farm to get Russell Wilson. Um, Chicago, to me, is a curious team to be on the list because if you're complaining about the offensive line in Seattle, the offensive line with the Chicago Bears is in disarray. That's one of the weakest parts of their team, so... Uh, Interesting choice. Now, the one to me that would be most intriguing is the Las Vegas Raiders, Um, particularly if you have a post-June 1 trade. They got a quarterback that has been the subject of trade rumors in the past, 
Uh, teams have been calling on Derek Carr this year, and the efforts have been rebuffed. But it kind of matches up, at least for the short term, cap-wise, for Seattle. Uh, Wilson's making $19 million this year. Derek Carr, salary, $19.625 million. He's under contract for two years for basically $39.5 million, as opposed to Wilson, who's $70 million over three years. So if you had a post-June 1 trade, then the $26 million in proration from 2022 and 2023 doesn't hit the cap until 2022. So you only have the $13 million in, in dead money from the 2021 proration. You have $19 million um, in salary go out. You have $19.625 million in 2021 salary come in, $625,000 difference. And you've got car under contract next year for just a shade under $19.9 million. I see that being a little bit, having a little bit more uh, vi- viability. Um, what, I, what I ultimately make of the report of the rift or the uh, unhappiness, uh, the relationship between the parties, yeah, there's obviously some smoke there. I don't think there, we're at the uh, fire stage yet. If we go through free agency and they haven't addressed the offensive line or through the draft, don't make a major upgrade. And they don't have a first-round pick this year or next year. <laughs> so, to me, your best bet's free agency. And if you're going to address the interior offensive line, I'd imagine Russell Wilson's like thinking, get a high-quality guy. And one of the top centers would be Corey Lindsley, who thinks he's leaving Green Bay. Probably would want top center money. Highest-paid center is Ryan Kelly of the Colts. At twelve million, twelve million four hundred twelve thousand five hundred per year, four-year extension he signed, thirty-four million in guarantees, twenty-six point five fully guaranteed. The two guards are going to cost a pretty penny. One, Brandon Sheriff might be uh, given a second franchise tag for eighteen point zero three million by the Washington Football Team. Joe Thune, surprise tag recipient last year by the Patriots, won't get a second one. No one's anticipating that. Now, we haven't had a $15 million per year offensive lineman who plays on the interior, so Sheriff will get Sheriff will get that if he signs a long-term deal. Thune probably will be looking for that as well, so it's going to be the high-rent district for Seattle um, to get one of those guys. So I would call this really the warning shot, and if there is a Russell Wilson trade, I really think we're a year premature. It's probably going to be... 2022 as opposed to 2021, it also would make uh, more sense from a cap standpoint that his um, cap number is $37 million, has a $24 million salary um, next year in 2022, you'd actually save money because you have 26 in dead money. So that's $11 million savings for trade then. So I think we're really just uh, being a little premature on the trade. But as I said, didn't think we'd see Carson Wentz going. So, you never know, but uh, probably at least one more year, at least in my opinion, of Russell Wilson in Seattle, and then we'll see. Now, on to Dak Prescott. The franchise tag window, uh, the 15-day period, opened on February 23rd. It ends at March 9 at uh, 4 p.m. Eastern time. Uh Cowboys, for all indications, are going to put a second franchise tag 
on Dak Prescott for $37,690,800, a 20% raise over the franchise tag he played on in 2020, which was $31.409 million. Um, if they can't get a deal done before this uh, period uh, closes on the 9th, um, so there's more sense of urgency for the Cowboys to get a deal done than there is for Dak Prescott. First of all, with the cap expected to go down, there's $180 million floor. His tag, percentage-wise, will count more on the cap in 2021 than in 2020. In 2020, his tag number represented 15.9% of the cap. Uh, the cap for 2020, $198.2 million. At the $180 million floor, it represents $20.9 million. I mean, 20.9% of the cap. So that's a big difference in how much Dak would take up for a second tag. And when you tender someone, it automatically counts on the cap, whether it's signed or unsigned. Now, Cowboys don't have enough cap room right now to accommodate a franchise tag for Dak, assuming $180 million cap. They have about $17.55 million of cap room, according to NFLPA data. So... We got a, a problem there. And also, having that tag on the cap will make it much more difficult for the Cowboys to actually do anything to be a major player in free agency. A lot of years they haven't been. Um, so that may not be a big uh, concern. Um, but still, having a tag that big is going to impact the ability to... Um, Improve a team. Now, there's some people who say, oh, yeah, they got close last year. That um, big sticking point was years, five years versus four. That the deal reportedly was in the neighborhood of 34 to 35 million that Dallas offered for five years, upwards to 110 million in guarantees, maybe 70 fully guaranteed at signing, depending upon what report you believe. Oh, they'll just pick up where they left off. Don't work that way. <laughs> there are intervening events <laughs> that happen. Good or bad, um, from the time that the uh, July 15 deadline for franchise players signed long term. So, what happened in 2020 has a bearing on the negotiations and also the impact of the second tag. Well, we know that Dak Prescott got off to a great start um, in 2020, at least statistically. That uh, Dallas wasn't winning, but he was carrying the offense of his arm. Dak was on pace to shatter the single-season passing record through the first four games, four complete games he played before the open uh, compound fracture uh, that he suffered uh, of his right ankle and dislocation. Um, He wasn't going to sustain that pace. He wasn't going to pass for over 6,500 yards, which is what he was on pace for. Um, Through the five games he played, Career-high 68% completion percentage. Uh, We also saw that if you don't have him uh, trying to carry the offense, that they struggled mightily uh, without him. Um, Offensively, defense stuck no matter who was uh, the quarterback. So that's really a a non-issue right there. Um, Dak versus the defense. But offensively, while Dak played the four complete games, 
He was throwing for 422.5 yards a game. The Cowboys were scoring 31.5 points a game. In games he didn't play, passing yards, 204.9, um, 21.1 um, points per game. So, big difference. So, we saw, at least can quantify what Dak's, Dak Prescott um, means. And I think that's what kind of led to Jerry Jones making a statement on local Dallas radio station 105.3 the fan which was a little curious <laughs> did uh he said I don't know how you get any more leverage uh, uh, referring to um Dak Prescott now to me that sends a signal and I take it at face value when Jerry Jones says something like that that negotiation dynamics have changed since the last talks and Jerry's made some curious statements in the f- past which have made me scratch my head before uh I think in the 2018 season before they played the Falcons uh, for some inexplicable reason Jerry said if I had the first overall pick in the 2019 draft I wouldn't trade uh Dak Prescott if I for two first round picks and I'm like okay <laughs> Thank you. Todd France loves to hear that. Todd France is um, Dak Prescott's agent. So these latest comments are music to Dak Prescott's ears. I mean, the agent's ears. So I guarantee you that if Dak had gotten off to a really slow start, had the same ankle injury, Andy Dalton had played better, they still don't make the playoffs, the Cowboys would be using that against Dak Prescott in a heartbeat. They'd be going, well, that offer we made last year, I don't know if we can go that far. Probably not going to put the tag on you again. You really don't want to go in free agency after not playing well and being injured. Yeah, they'd be trying to get a better deal. Yeah, The injury's not a problem for Dak. The big issue was going to be an infection, which didn't occur right afterwards. He's supposedly ahead of schedule in his recovery, although he had a clean-up surgery afterwards. Uh, injury's a non-issue, um, at least from a leverage standpoint. So you have to expect Todd France is going to take all this information, the statement Jones made's music to his ears, and if left to his own devices, if Dak Prescott empowers him to do what he wants to do, and you got to remember that the agent works for the player, not the other way around. Oh, he, he is going to play hardball um, and utilize that leverage to the fullest extent um, against the Cowboys. Now, Dallas's saving grace in all this might be two things. One, Dak Prescott doesn't have the same indifference to where he plays that Kirk Cousins did when he was franchised in 2016 and 17. Because that second franchise tag, my understanding is that um, Cousins and his agent, um, Mike McCartney, didn't really engage with uh, Washington. They were kind of like, hey, (laughs) we're good with the tag. (laughs) We'll let the chips fall where they may after that. So Dallas may have some of the leverage that Prescott has blunted by the fact that if Dak wants to be a cowboy and his marching orders to Todd France are get the best deal possible from the Cowboys because <laughs> I don't want to play a second year on the tag and part of that might be because 
the injury. We don't know what type of effect that's had on him psychologically in terms of, hey, I want security. I don't want to go on the one-year deal. Now, that being said, you leave France to his own devices. You let France do what he wants to do or any competent, savvy agent. (laughs) Man, this is not going to be that much of a negotiation. It's going to be over a dictation of terms, if that's the case. That the only way there's a deal that should be done before the March 9 deadline, if Dak Prescott has similar indifference that Cousins had, is if the Cowboys concede every major aspect of the deal. By that, that's length of contract. That's the average yearly salary. That's the contract guarantees. That's the signing bonus. And that's the cash flow. Uh, Personally, If it were me, I might be willing to, if I had a client willing, who was like, I'm going to get my money one way or another, and had, was really curious about potentially testing the market in 2022, and the reason I say test the market in 2022 is the third franchise tag is 144% increase over the second one. So we're talking a franchise tag of $54,274,752 in 2022. So... Dallas not getting the deal done either when Dak was entering his contract year or last year, that's a big game changer to me. Um, Some people might disagree, but that's how I look at it, that I might be willing to go, hey, this is what I want. Take it or leave it. You can sign it today. You can sign it before July 15th. We are not negotiating. This is the deal. If you don't like it, trade him. Try to see, we'll agree to go to certain places. You find someone, you figure out a trade. If we like it, we'll tell you. Um, Have us talk to them, see if they're going to pay us. And we can go from there and keep it moving. If not, we'll play on the tag, and then you can bid against uh, everyone else next year if he wants to still be here. (laughs) That's probably how I would play it if I had a willing client. Now, that being said, what I envision France wanting, and I don't know Todd France, I haven't talked to him, but just putting my agent hat back on, if Dak is going to let him do what he really wants to do, as opposed to giving him specific instructions on how this negotiation should go, first thing is length of contract. <laughs> that was a big sticking point last year. Dallas wanted five years. Prescott wanted four. So to me, <laughs> if you wanted four last year... <laughs> You, my my position would be you wasted one of them for franchise tag. I want to be under contract through 2023. We're talking three years, not four. If I give you four, you backdoored your way into the five-year deal. Not happening if France has wide latitude to do what he wants to do, which I don't know. <laughs> Average per year. Well, the franchise tag number typically becomes a starting point, but there's been another intervening event. So we're not talking basically 37-7 as a starting point for negotiations. In between the time that you could do a long-term deal for Dak Prescott and now, Sean Watson signed right before the start of the regular season. Four-year extension, $156 million is the base value. Average is $39 million per year. Incentives take it to a max of $40 million per year. Now, so a lot of people are thinking, well, maybe you got to get hit the $39.5 million, $40 million. That's not what I'd be looking at. I'd be looking at the three years of new money that Deshaun Watson has since I want a three-year deal. That's kind of what Watson did relative to the Patrick Mahomes deal. Patrick Mahomes, his first three new years and his backloaded 10-year con- 10-year extension averaged 
38.95 million. Where does uh, Watson come in? 39 million per year, 50,000 per year more. Watson has 124 million over those three years. That average is 41,333,333 dollars per year. Well, I don't want to top that. So we're talking 125, 124.5, 125,000,000 million over three years. So if you want to get a deal, Jerry, and you let Todd France arm him where he can use that leverage however he wants, that's probably what you're talking about. Contract guarantees. Amount fully guaranteed at signing hasn't hit $100 million in an NFL contract yet. It's still the most is Matt Ryan. 2018 deal with the extension. He starts signing a five-year extension. Becoming the first $30 million per year player. $94.5 million. So, we got to be ahead of that. I don't wouldn't necessarily need to have all three years fully guaranteed like Kirk Cousins, but I got to I got to top Ryan. And if we can have what isn't guaranteed be injury uh, fully guaranteed, be injury guaranteed at signing, and then have the 2023 uh, base salary or the remainder best in 2022, I could be good with that. <laughs> signing bonus now. There's no easy way to have low cap numbers when you have a deal which is going to average more than $40 million per year. It's simply not possible. that If you tried to prorate a signing bonus over three years, then those next two cap hits get to be pretty high and potentially unmanageable. So it's probably going to require adding two voiding years. To the deal so you can prorate the signing bonus over five years. Dallas has done this in the restructured contracts with Tyron Smith and um, Demarcus Lawrence. They have avoiding 2024 contract year. Uh, so that would probably have to be a necessity to get this thing where Dallas can get some cap relief this year. And the two biggest signing bonuses are Russell Wilson's $65 million, $65 million one, and Aaron Rodgers is next at $57.5 million. So we're going to have to have a huge signing bonus if Dallas wants some cap relief. And yeah, you're going to have residual cap charge in 2024, but so be it. Not my problem if I'm Todd France. <laughs> cash flow. Now, can't just be a neutral deal. <laughs> By neutral, I mean cash flow is evenly among the three years, percentage-wise. 33.3% after year one, 667 after year two would be neutral. This thing's got to be front-loaded. I'm not talking front-loaded like Julio Jones, which is just insanely front-loaded for a three-year extension. He's got 65.1% of his new money after the first new year, then 82.6% after the second year. And we're not talking like that. That's that's a bit too much. Now, I kind of look at Jack Conklin as a guide. and He's an offensive tackle, and you would think a quarterback would get a more favorable structure than an offensive tackle. He signed a three-year deal in free agency last year for $42 million. He had 47.6% um, of his money in the first contract year. Through year two, he's at 71.4%. Uh, so it's going to have to be a player-friendly structure cash flow as well. So what would this deal kind of look like? Well, $124.5 million would be the total. That averages $41.5 million per year on a three-year deal. Um, fully guaranteed at signing, my drop-dead number would be $100 million. 
signing bonus, I'd have more flexibility. But depending upon what you wanted in terms of cap number this year, where it's got to be competitive with those two big signing bonuses. Number three is Matthew Stafford at 50 million. So it have to minimum 50 million, but I'm thinking 60. So that's 12 million proration each year because we got the two years of dummy years in there, 2024 and 2025. We have 12 million of proration. So I'm thinking um, over 50% of the contract through the first year. So let's say 5 million. So it's 65 million the first year. And yeah, if we if we need to, we don't have to have all the signing bonus in payable in 2021, the calendar year. It wouldn't be in a lump sum anyway. If you need to defer some of it to 2022, that's fine. But cash, total cash can't be less than the franchise tag number, 37.7 basically. So that's where there'd be more flexibility in the payout at a signing bonus. So we're talking... Cap number first year potentially 17 million. If you want to bring the signing bonus down to 50, uh, so you'd have less proration, have a higher cap hit in year one with a higher base salary. Maybe take the base salary down to his the lowest it could be for him a million. Stick the bulk of that in a roster bonus three days after signing, um, which is still all counting in 2021. That's fine too. But with $60 million and a $5 million base salary, that's a $17 million cap hit in year one, as opposed to a uh, basically 37-7 tag sitting on the books. So I'd want to keep the cash at least to help Dallas as a break uh, under what the two tags would be if we went tags two and tags three, um, which would be the 37-7 and then the basically a little less than 54.3. Two more tags. Dak makes $91,965,522. So uh, cash through 2022 to kind of entice them the deal. I give them a break. So let's say we're at 87.5 million after two. Actually, our cash flow percentage of the deal would be less than um, Conklin's because that's 70.3%. But say that's a $22.5 million base salary. So your cap number is 34.5 as opposed to having 37.7 and 54.3. So you got a huge cap break by going this way, and you have a third year as opposed to him walking in 2023 or 2022 if you didn't go for the second cap number. That's fully guaranteed at signing. Um, and we're going to have another 12 and a half fully guaranteed at signing in 2023 to get to the $100 million. The whole remainder 37 million of the base in 2023 would be guaranteed for injury the 24.5 million becomes fully guaranteed on the fifth day of the 2022 league year so he's completely secure um, by next march so that third year your cap hits 49 million uh the cap should be going up again in 2023 the new tv deals and so forth uh Still, that's a pretty big nut, $49 million. What What I'd be trying to do is set this up kind of like Cousins did in his free agent deal to go to the Vikings, where hopefully it makes them want to do a deal after two years. Um, so we're getting another buy the app on extension and don't play out the contract because they really shouldn't want to. 
because you're going to have $24 million in dead money in 2024. And depending upon whether an actual second franchise tag was used or not, if you got a deal done by March 9th, you wouldn't have designated him a second time. If you don't, you do designate him for a second time. So Dallas will be looking at, in 2024, a $58.8 million tag if no second tag is actually given in 70.56. So that would create more sense of urgency to do the deal another time. Um, so basically, it would be having my cake and eat it too if I'm Todd France. That I'm getting my three-year deal, I'm getting the money I want, and I'm setting up the structure where Dallas has to come back to me again, and they're going to be, from a leverage standpoint, um, behind the eight ball. <laughs> Just like, uh, to me, it seems like they are now. Well, if I'm Dallas, one thing I do is I start hedging my bets. I know they want Dak. If I think he's unsignable, I start looking at my other options, which would be potentially drafting, using a draft pick on a quarterback when one I really hadn't anticipated doing that before. Or I start looking at trade possibilities. That's what I would do if I'm Dallas, if I deemed him, de- deemed Dak unsignable. Um, I don't think it gets to that point. But if we don't get a deal done before March 9th, which I would be surprised if there was one outside of Dallas just totally caving, we'll see if we get one done by the July 15th deadline. It'll probably come down to the wire again. Are we still dealing with this thing in July? Is Dak going to get a deal, or is he headed to uh, potentially free agency in 2022? If there is no deal, basically you could call 2021 a farewell tour for Dak Prescott because at that point, I anticipate Dak being, I wanted to be here. You've dragged your feet so long. I can see what's out there. You know what? I'm open to playing elsewhere. Well, the moral of the story is, that Dallas put themselves in this position by not getting the contract done at a sooner matter, sooner time frame, and Todd France isn't going to have any sympathy for the Dallas predicament. Hey there, it's John Kime of the John Kime Report podcast. I'm glad you're enjoying the Inside the Cap podcast with Joel Corey. When you're done, I invite you to listen to my podcast. Twice a week, my guests and I discuss the Washington football team and the NFL. The show features numerous NFL insiders, former and current players and executives, and taps into the insight gained in my 25-plus years covering this franchise. Check out the John Kime Report, another fine product offered by Empire Media. Well, that's going to wrap up this week's uh, edition of Inside the Cap. Um, thanks for listening. Don't forget you can find me on Twitter at Corey Joel. That is C-O-R-R-Y-J-O-E-L. And also read my agent's take column. We'll see you back here next time.